This is Scott Sischerer, Deputy Editor of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice. And I want to thank you for listening to these highlights of our January 2021 theme issue on food allergy, Volume 9, Issue 1. I want to thank the theme coordinators for this issue. These are Drs. Julie Wang and Robert Wood. This is a very exciting theme issue. It has review articles on important topics, including infant anaphylaxis, diagnostics, cross-reactivity, psychotherapeutic treatment, epidemiology, and the role of omics in food allergy. And these include four CME articles. In addition, there's a terrific theme editorial by our coordinators, Drs. Wang and Wood. And this theme issue is packed with over 30 food allergy-related original articles, and it also includes over 15 COVID-19-related articles. I want to also point out a number of review and special articles. There's an AAAI workgroup report about allergy immunology training experience during COVID-19 pandemic. It's from the workgroup report of the Fellows and Training Committee. There's also a clinical commentary review on the importance of considering olfactory dysfunction during the COVID-19 pandemic and in clinical practice. There's a rostrum on 10 rules for implementation of a telemedicine program to care for patients with asthma. In addition, there's a U.S. HAEA Medical Advisory Board 2020 guidelines for the management of hereditary angioedema and a clinical commentary review on salivary IgA as a potential biomarker in the evaluation of respiratory tract infection risk in athletes. I want to especially point out a very special article, a consensus document, entitled The Consensus Approach to the Primary Prevention of Food Allergy Through Nutrition. Guidance from the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, and the Canadian Society for Allergy and Clinical Immunology. In addition, there's a clinical commentary review related to this consensus document on primary prevention of food allergy, entitled Practical Challenges and Considerations for Early Introduction of Potential Food Allergens for Prevention of Food Allergy. I hope that you take some time to read those very important special articles and reviews. And this brings me to reviewing 35 of our original articles on a variety of topics. The first is asthma and COPD are not risk factors for ICU stay and death in case of SARS-CoV-2 infection by Coms et al. What is already known about this topic? Asthmatics and patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, are at risk of more severe outcomes with common cold virus infections. Prior studies have suggested that allergic diseases, asthma, and COPD may not be risk factors for severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2 infection. What does this article add to our knowledge? The strength of this study is the characterization of obstructive disease according to lung function testing. In our study, asthma, COPD, 
and treatment with inhaled corticosteroid or oral corticosteroid were not risk factors for admission to the intensive care unit or mortality. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Our results confirm the recommendations that patients with obstructive airway disease should not decrease the dose of ICS during COVID infection. Asthma and COPD treatments should be pursued and adapted to ensure optimal control of the lung disease throughout the pandemic, potentially reducing the risk of severe coronavirus disease 2019. The next article is entitled Synchronous Telemedicine and Allergy, Lessons Learned and Transformation of Care During the COVID-19 Pandemic by Thomas et al. What is already known about this topic? Telemedicine is an innovative tool that can transform the current models of allergy care. The COVID-19 pandemic introduced the potential of synchronous telemedicine across the allergy services. What does this article add to our knowledge? In an unselected patient cohort, a significant number of new allergy consultations, 42% non-drug related, 29% drug related, were completed without an in-person visit or allergy testing. Less than 10% of the follow-up patients required additional testing. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Screening criteria for selecting suitable new patients for non-face-to-face -face appointments are required. A telemedicine-based drug allergy service model can result in time and cost savings while improving patient access to specialist care. The next article, Predictive Nomogram for Severe COVID-19 and Identification of Mortality-Related Immune Features by Kai et al. What's already known about this topic? Several clinical factors and predictive models have been studied to aid early indication of severe cases. A low level of lymphocyte in severe 2019 novel coronavirus disease cases have been demonstrated. What does this article add to our knowledge? The novel nomogram based on age, C-reactive protein, and D-dimer aided their early identification of severe cases of COVID-19 with high accuracy. Low levels of CD45 positive, RO positive, CD3 positive T and natural killer cells correlated with increased mortality. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The nomogram incorporating age, CRP, and D-dimer could aid early identification of severe COVID-19 cases, CD45 RO positive, CD3 positive T cells and NK cells could aid identification of prognosis in severe COVID-19 cases. The next article is entitled Patient Characteristics and, Risky and Risk Factors for Home Epinephrine-Treated Reactions During Oral Immunotherapy for Food Allergy by Nafsen et al. What's already known about this topic? Studies of risk factors for severe reactions during oral immunotherapy, OIT, described thus far including age, asthma, degree of sensitization, pre-OIT reaction severity, and initial reaction threshold are limited and require validation in a large cohort. What does this article add to our knowledge? Milk OIT is a risk factor for home epinephrine-treated reactions and for poor outcomes following such reactions. Epinephrine-treated reactions before OIT or during clinic updosing, asthma, and a lower tolerated dose provide additional risk factors. 
How does the study impact current management guidelines? The identified risk factors for home epinephrine-treated reactions during OIT and for high failure rate following such reactions enable stratification of patients' risk and might assist in patient selection for OIT. The next article is entitled Prevalence of Physician-Reported Food Allergy in Canadian Children by Singer et al. What's already known about the topic? Self-reported prevalence of food allergy in Canada is approximately 8%, but physician-reported prevalence rates have never been documented. What does this article add to our knowledge? Physician-reported prevalence of pediatric food allergy in Canada is 2.53%. Children with food allergy were more likely to be atopic, less likely to be obese, and more likely to have a psychiatric comorbidity. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Physician-reported prevalence rates are lower than self-report rates. Further studies into the association of food allergy and psychiatric comorbidities are necessary. The next article is entitled, The Sesame Peanut Conundrum in Israel, Reevaluation of Food Allergy Prevalence in Young Children, by Garkaby et al. What's known about this topic? Food allergies are on the rise worldwide. A previous cross-sectional study published in 2002 estimated the prevalence of food allergy among Israeli young children less than two years of age at 0.85% with high sesame and low peanut prevalence. What does this article add to our knowledge? We revealed a substantial increase in the prevalence of food allergy among Israeli young children in 18 years. The distribution and ranking of the main food allergens was similar with high sesame and low peanut prevalence. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The increased prevalence of food allergy in Israeli young children constitutes an important public health concern with tremendous implications for risk management. Our findings strengthen the call for community-based allergy testing. The next study is entitled Understanding Food-Related Allergic Reactions Through a U.S. National Patient Registry by Fierstein et al. What's already known about this topic? Evidence from small clinical samples suggests that unintentional reactions are common among children with, and adults living with food allergy. Cross-contamination is a common cause of reactions. What does this article add to our knowledge? In a large national patient registry, half of patients had one or more reactions per year. Although most reactions were due unintentional exposure, one in 10 reactions were due to intentional exposure. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Although providing patient education around food allergen avoidance is a recommended part of patient care, exposure avoidance, both intentional and unintentional remains challenging. Current guidelines should take into account motivations behind both intentional and unintentional exposures. The next article is entitled, Improvements in Quality of Life in Children Following Epigutaneous Immunotherapy, EPID, for peanut allergy in the Papites and People studies by Dungalvin et al. What's already known about this topic? Food allergy quality of life has been consistently shown to be impaired in children with peanut allergy and their caregivers due to the burden of constant vigilance, including the fear of reactions due to accidental exposure. What does this article add to our knowledge? Epicutaneous immunotherapy with DBV712, 250 micrograms, led to significant improvements in food allergy quality of life in peanut allergic children after 24 months of treatment, largely driven by patients experiencing any improvement in the listening dose. This was noted in all food allergy quality of life questionnaire, parent 
form and two of four food allergy quality of life questionnaire child form domains. How does this study impact current management guidelines? These findings suggest that improvements in total and domain-specific food allergy quality of life as a result of increased eliciting dose after DBV712-250 microgram treatment represent important patient-centered outcomes as part of the overall clinical benefit of therapy. The next article is entitled, Walnut Allergy Across Europe, Distribution of Allergen Sensitization Patterns and Prediction of Severity by Lyons et al. What's already known about this topic? Although walnut is one of the tree nuts most often reported to elicit food allergic reactions in Europe and worldwide, data on sensitization to individual walnut components and their geographical and clinical relevance are scarce. What does this article add to our knowledge? Patterns of IgE sensitization to seven walnut components in 12 European countries are presented, along with a highly discriminative model combining serological and clinical information for prediction of walnut allergy severity. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Molecular diagnostics in walnut allergy reveal varied patterns of sensitization across Europe and can help accurately distinguish mild to moderate from severe walnut allergy when considered in combination with extract-based testing and clinical background. The next article is entitled, Cell-based functional IgE assays are superior to conventional allergy tests for shrimp allergy diagnosis by Y et al. What's already known about this topic? Shrimp allergy is prevalent, but conventional diagnostic methods, including skin prick tests, SPT, and specific IgE, SIgE measurements, have a low specificity. Testing for tropomyosin improves diagnostic accuracy for shrimp allergy in Caucasians, but this has not been replicated among Asians. What does this article add to our knowledge? Basophil activation test, BAT, has superior diagnostic performance for shrimp allergy than SPT and SIGE measurements. Tropomyosin may not be the most appropriate diagnostic marker in the Chinese population. The IgE cross-linking induced luciferase expression, otherwise known as exile test, can be a good alternative to BAT. How does this study impact current management guidelines? A single step BAT may replace SPT and SIGE in the diagnosis of patients with clinical history suggestive of shrimp allergy. The exile test can be suitable alternative with respect to cost and sampling constraint. The next article is entitled, Added Diagnostic Value of Peanut Component Testing, a Cross-Sectional Study in Australian Children by Cower et al. What is already known about this topic? A number of studies have suggested that IgE to peanut component RH2 may be a better predictor to differentiate sensitization and clinical reactivity to peanut. What does this article add to our knowledge? The study suggests that polysensitization to RH1, 2, and 3 may be a better marker to not only predict the outcome of peanut challenge, but also the severity of reaction at challenge. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Combination of RH1, 2, and 3 may be a helpful diagnostic test to identify patients with persistent peanut allergy regardless of whether they were sensitized or had clinical reactions in the past. The next article is entitled, Understanding Precautionary Allergen Labeling, PAL, 
Preferences Among Food Allergic Stakeholders by Gupta et al. What is already known about this topic? Food allergy prevalence is about 7.6% and 10.8% among U.S. children and adults, respectively. Food allergic families must practice constant vigilance while shopping for foods, as precautionary allergen labeling is voluntary. What does this article add to our knowledge? This study adds to literature on food allergic consumers' understanding of pet. Results suggest that food allergic consumers are largely unaware of PAL policies, purchase products with PAL based on specific wording, and prefer clear and consistent product labeling. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The United States lacks clear requirements for the use of PAL, which results in confusion and risk-taking among food allergic consumers. Food manufacturers and government agencies need timely data from stakeholders, researchers, and allergists to make policy. The next article is entitled, A Prospective Validation of the Nutcracker Diagnostic Algorithm for Walnut and Pecan Allergy with Prediction of Severity by Goldberg et al. What's already known about this topic? We previously devised an algorithm using skin tests, basophil activation tests, and co-allergy status to reduce the need for oral food challenges in patients with suspected walnut pecan allergies. What does this article add to our knowledge? In a large-scale prospective trial, this study validates a novel diagnostic algorithm for walnut and pecan allergy. It further demonstrates that basophil reactivity reflect the clinical manifestations of Trina oral food challenge. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Given the high prevalence in Trina allergic patients of crust reactivities to several tree nuts, this algorithm will decrease the number of food challenges needed to be performed while maintaining accuracy of diagnosis. The next study is entitled, Two Different Composite Markers Predict Severity and Threshold Dose in Peanut Allergy by Cattell et al. What's already known about this topic? Peanut allergy is one of the most frequent causes of anaphylaxis in children with food allergies. Oral food challenge remains the gold standard to evaluate the threshold dose and severity of peanut allergy. What does this article add to our knowledge? This study reports the relevance of allergen-specific and non-allergen-specific basophil activation test parameters to determine the severity and threshold dose of a peanut allergic reaction in children. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Introduction of these multivariate models in routine practice could avoid an oral food challenge in some children with peanut allergy. The next article is entitled, Delayed and Severe Reactions to Baked Egg and Baked Milk Challenges, by Jan Koff et al. What is already known about this topic? Some children react to baked egg and baked milk challenges. What does this article add to our knowledge? Compared with other oral food challenge reactions, baked egg and baked milk reactions were characterized by increased frequencies of epinephrine administration and lower respiratory tract reactions, respectively, as well as delayed reactions 60 minutes or later after the challenge ended. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Consider amended dose escalation protocols and prolonged observation after baked egg and baked milk challenges. The next article is entitled, Adults and Pediatric Food Allergy to Chickpea, Pea, Lentil, and Lupina Scoping Review by Hildebrand et al. What's already known about this topic? 
Plant-based diets are increasingly popular and legume protein is appearing in more manufactured prepackaged foods. In Canada, legumes, except soy and peanut, are not always required to be labeled if they are components of an ingredient, which puts legume-allergic consumers at risk for accidental, accidental legume consumption. What does this article add to our knowledge? Non-priority legume allergy varied by type and by region. These allergies have been implicated in severe allergic reactions, yet studies on public health knowledge and educational needs are near absent. How does this study impact current management guidelines? The labeling and educational needs of patients with non-priority legume allergy are poorly characterized, thus underscoring a need for further research on the burden of non-priority legume allergy in partnership with clinicians, scientists, the food industry, and patients. The next article is entitled, Infant Allergy Testing and Food Allergy Diagnosis Before and After Guidelines for Early Peanut Introduction by Lowe et al. What's already known about this topic? Current guidelines recommend screening and early peanut introduction in high-risk, severe eczema and or egg allergy infants. Panel testing is discouraged as allergy tests have poor positive predictive value when assessing foods never previously ingested. What does this article add to our knowledge? Within a large national claims database, we show an increase in allergy testing, including in infants not at high risk, after learning early about peanut allergy publication and National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases guidelines publication. Multi-allergen testing is common and food allergy diagnoses are increasing. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Peanut allergy screening may have additional unintended effects of increased testing to multiple foods, resulting in identification of clinically irrelevant sensitization. Allergy testing may delay introduction of foods if families are awaiting testing or oral food challenge before eating. The next article is entitled, Caregiver Reported Presentation of Severe Food-Induced Allergic Reactions in Infants and Toddlers by Pistoner et al. What's already known about this topic? There are unique challenges to recognizing anaphylaxis in infants and toddlers, and current diagnostic criteria and anaphylaxis action plans do not specifically address this younger population. What does this article add to our knowledge? This study identifies infant and toddler-specific symptoms and signs reported by primary caregivers during their child's most severe allergic reaction when less than three years old. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Findings may advance the recognition of symptoms and signs of anaphylaxis in infants and toddlers and help guide the development of age-specific diagnostic criteria and anaphylaxis guidelines. The next article is entitled, Irradiated Tree Nut Flowers for Use in Oral Immunotherapy by Penumardi et al. What's already known about this topic? Food products used in oral immunotherapy trials need to conform to Food and Drug Administration guidelines for orally delivered drugs. Limited information exists on the suitability of commercially available tree nut flowers for use in oral immunotherapy protocols. What does this article add to our knowledge? Tree nut flowers are often contaminated with high levels of microbes and do not meet the FDA guidelines on oral immunotherapy drug products. We demonstrated the gamma irradiation of walnut, cashew, hazelnut, and almond flowers decreased bioburden without altering the allergen, allergenic protein content. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Irradiation of tree nut flowers represents an effective method to generate drug products for use in OIT trials. These drug products remain stable for at least 
two years when refrigerated. The next article is entitled, Which are the optimal criteria for the diagnosis of allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis, a latent class analysis, by Saxena et al.? What's already known about this topic? Several criteria are available for the diagnosis of allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis, ABPA. However, in the absence of a reference standard, the diagnostic performance of the various criteria remains unknown. What does this article add to our knowledge? The International Society for Human and Animal Mycology ABPA Working Group diagnostic criteria were found to perform slightly better than the Rosenberg-Patterson criteria on latent class analysis. The diagnostic performance improved by modifying the existing International Society for Human and Animal Mycology criteria. How does this study impact current management guidelines? We evaluated various benchmarks for identifying ABPA among patients with asthma and provide an updated optimal criterion. Our data support modifying the original International Society for Human and Animal Mycology criteria for improved sensitivity. The new criteria will help standardize the diagnosis of ABPA for future research and practice. The next article is entitled, Oral Corticosteroid Treatment Patterns of Patients in the United States with Persistent Asthma by Tran et al. What is already known about this topic? Oral corticosteroids, OCF, are used to manage asthma exacerbations and severe uncontrolled asthma, but OCS are associated with adverse effects. Limited data are available on the extent and pattern of OCS prescription and asthma treatment. What does this article add to our knowledge? Patients with persistent asthma in the United States, including those who have mild to moderate asthma, have substantial exposure to OCS, particularly when considering a definition that considers cumulative dosage. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Physicians should be aware that frequent exposure to OCS may put their patients at risk for experiencing adverse effects and that other options for controlled patients' asthma should be considered. The next article is entitled, Multidimensional Assessment of Asthma Identifies Clinically Relevant Phenotype Overlap, a Cross-Sectional Study, by Han et al. What is already known about this topic? Asthma is a heterogeneous disease with multiple phenotypes. However, the relevance of phenotype overlap remains largely unexplored. What does this article add to our knowledge? Phenotype overlap is extremely common in asthma and is associated with clinical and inflammatory profiles. Patients with phenotypes associated with mixed T2 and non-T2 inflammation have elevated T2 inflammation biomarkers, but worse, asthma control. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Multidimensional asthma assessment identifies clinically relevant phenotype overlap. Despite increased T2 inflammation, patients with phenotypes associated with mixed T2 and non-T2 inflammation might be unresponsive to medications owing to increased non-T2 inflammation. The next article is entitled, Quantification of Glucocorticoid-Associated Morbidity in Severe Asthma Using the Glucocorticoid Toxicity Index by McDowell et al. What's already known about this topic? Morbidity from glucocorticoid, GC, exposure in severe asthma is described at population level but because of the absence of a suitable tool, GC toxicity at the individual patient level has not been systematically captured and reported previously. What does this article add to our knowledge? 
the glucocorticoid toxicity index 2.0 identifies GC toxicity systematically in routine severe asthma clinic, revealing unidentified toxicities and wide variation in cumulative toxicity in individual patients. Toxicity correlated poorly with prednisolone exposure compared with age and quality of life measures. How does this study impact current management guidelines? This study proposes that measuring GC toxicity systematically in individual patients is an important part of routine care. Reliance on recent GC exposure as guidance for which patients would derive most benefit from biologic therapies may be imprecise. The next study is entitled Oral Corticosteroids and Risk of Preterm Birth in the California Medicaid Program by Pomston et al. What's already known about this topic? Oral corticosteroids are associated with an increased risk of preterm birth among women with asthma. What does this article add to our knowledge? For asthma, only higher oral corticosteroid doses early in pregnancy, but not later, were associated with the increased preterm birth risk. There was no association between asthma controller therapies and preterm birth. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Our findings support the treatment goal of controlling asthma symptoms during pregnancy and are reassuring for women who can manage asthma during pregnancy with lower oral corticosteroid doses and controller therapies. The next study is entitled Risk of Psychiatric As Adverse Events Among Montelukast Users by Sansing Foster et al. What is already known about this topic? Psychiatric safety concerns following Montelukast use have primarily been generated from post-marketing case reports. Observational studies have reported conflicting findings. What does this article add to our knowledge? In this large observational study, in patients with asthma treated with Montelukast or inhaled corticosteroids, risk of hospitalizations for depression or self-harm were similar. Psychiatric comorbidity was common, and most psychiatric adverse events occurred in patients with a past psychiatric history. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Risk of hospitalization for depression or self-harm appear to occur more frequently in patients with a past psychiatric history. The next article is entitled Blood Eosinophil Count as a Predictor of Lung Function Decline in Healthy Individuals by Lee et al. What's already known about this topic? Cross-sectional data have suggested that blood eosinophil count is related to a decline in lung function in a healthy population. However, the consistency of blood eosinophil count over time has not been properly assessed. What does this article add to our knowledge? In a long-term longitudinal follow-up, we found that blood eosinophil count is associated with a decline in forced expiratory volume in one second, FEV1, and a consistently high count is an independent risk factor for an accelerated decline in FEV1. How does the study impact current management guidelines? These results suggest the use of the blood eosinophil count to identify healthy individuals at high risk for developing chronic lung disease, which in turn may enable a tailored preventive strategy. The next study is entitled Psychometric Properties of the Asthma Symptom Index in Patients with Severe Asthma by Shen et al. What's already known about this topic? The Asthma Symptom Utility Index, ASUI, is a well-established and validated measure for evaluation of asthma symptoms and treatment. What does this article add to our knowledge? 
The Asthma Symptom Index, ASI, is a modified, shorter version of the ASUI that includes eight items measuring four asthma symptoms and which is which also demonstrates a good reliability, validity, and responsiveness to capture asthma symptoms. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The ASI has potential value for use in real-world symptom assessment of patients with severe asthma, helping to monitor patients in a real-world setting and simplify measurement of asthma symptoms. The next article is entitled, a scoping review of international barriers to asthma medication adherence mapped to the theoretical domains framework by Riley et al. What is already known about this topic? Internationally, adult patients with asthma have poor asthma medication adherence. What does the article add to our knowledge? This article describes the diverse reasons for asthma medication adherence reported by patients around the world and how they may change based on the socio-political context in which patients live. How does the study impact current management guidelines? On the basis of the findings of this study, providers should inquire about a broad set of reasons for asthma medication non-adherence, with focus on the most common barriers reported in a particular country. The next article is entitled, Impact of Asthma Quality Assessment Program on Burden of Asthma by Park et al. What's already known about this topic? The Korean Health Insurance Review and Assessment Service launched the National Asthma Quality Assessment Program from 2013 to assess whether patients with asthma in Korea were well managed. What does the article add to our knowledge? The Asthma Quality Assessment Program conducted by the Korean government led to improvements in both the asthma management protocol and prognosis in Korea. However, the effect was restricted to the assessment term. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Steady application of national management programs, such as Asthma Quality Assessment Program, will encourage patients and clinicians to follow recommended guidelines. Improved compliance of asthma management will be helpful to steadily reduce the social and economic burden of asthma. The next article is entitled, The Predictive Clinical Features Associated with Chronic Cough that has a single underlying cause by Lai et al. What's already known about the topic? It's important for successful therapy to identify causes of chronic cough. Few studies have investigated the usefulness of the clinical characteristics of cough, concomitant symptoms, and medical history in the diagnosis of chronic cough. What does this article add to our knowledge? Some clinical features, including nocturnal cough alone, cough after meals, reflux symptoms, and history of sinusitis presented high specificities and mild to moderate sensitivities to indicate causes of chronic cough, suggesting their great rule-in value for diagnosis of chronic cough. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The timing of cough concomitant symptoms associated with gastroesophageal reflux or rhinitis sinusitis and history of rhinitis are useful in indicating common causes of chronic cough and guiding empiric therapy. The next study is entitled, Testing Strategies and Predictors for Evaluating Immediate and Delayed Reactions to Cephalosporins by Stone et al. What's already known about this topic? Testing strategies for cephalosporin allergy have been poorly defined. Previous studies have suggested that cephalosporin cross-reactivity is primarily based on common shared R1 groupings. 
What does this article add to our knowledge? In two separate cohorts, allergy to ceftriaxone with R1 cross-reactivity and selected cefazolin allergy were the most common. Selective ampicillin intradermal test positivity in cephalexin allergic patients was limited to the Australian cohort, and this was associated with aminopenicillin aminocephalosporin R1 cross-reactivity. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Cephalosporin skin testing and ingestion challenge using approaches that account for structural similarities in our side chains is a safe and efficacious mechanism to evaluate cephalosporin allergy. The next article is entitled, Antineutrophil Cytoplasmic Antibodies and Organ-Specific Manifestations in Eosinophilic Granulomatosis with Polyangiitis, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis by Chang et al. What's already known about this topic? Antineutrophil cytoplasmic antibodies, ANCAs, are one of the pathogenic factors in the development of eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangiitis, EGPA. But less than half the patients with EGPA have positive ANCA status. What does this article add to our knowledge? ANCA-positive patients with EGPA have higher risk of peripheral neuropathy, renal involvement, and cutaneous purpura, but they have lower risks of pulmonary and cardiac manifestations than do those with negative ANCA status. How does this study impact current management guidelines? The findings of our study may provide a principle for survey or follow-up of the organ-specific involvement in patients with EGPA based on their ANCA status. The next article is entitled, Polyvalent Mechanical Bacterial Lysate Administration Improves the Clinical Course of Grass Pollen-Induced Allergic Rhinitis in Children, a Randomized Controlled Trial, by Janicek et al. What's already known on this topic? Bacterial lysates have been used for many years to prevent respiratory tract infections in children and adults. In addition, they show beneficial effects in children with asthma and atopic dermatitis. What does this article add to our knowledge? To our knowledge, our study is the first prospective, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled, parallel group study assessing the effect of polyvalent mechanical bacterial lysate therapy on the clinical course of seasonal allergic rhinitis in children sensitized to grass pollen allergens. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The use of polyvalent mechanical bacterial lysate in children with grass pollen-induced allergic rhinitis may reduce the severity of the disease symptoms. The next article is entitled, Kenikinumab Lacks Efficacy in Treating Adult Patients with Moderate to Severe Chronic Spontaneous Urticaria in a Phase II Randomized Double-Blind Placebo-Controlled Single-Center Study by Mal et al. What's already known about this topic? Kenikinumab works in urticaria due to autoinflammatory syndrome and urticarial vasculitis. What does this article add to our knowledge? Kenikinumab does not work in chronic spontaneous urticaria. How does the study impact current management guidelines? IL-1 antagonists, such as kenikinumab, should not be recommended in chronic spontaneous urticaria guidelines. The next article is entitled, Fatigue is Common and Predicted by Female Gender and Sleep Disturbance in Patients with Chronic Spontaneous Urticaria by Errol et al. What is already known about this topic? 
Fatigue has not been studied in chronic spontaneous urticaria, CSU, yet. What does this article add to our knowledge? Fatigue, which is a trend topic in chronic inflammatory diseases, has been studied for the first time in this study with CSU. It is shown that fatigue is common and predicted by female gender and sleep disturbance in patients with CSU. Fatigue also contributes negatively to loss of quality of life and increases burden of the disease in patients with chronic spontaneous urticaria. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Physicians who treat patients with CSU should talk about fatigue with the patients, especially females and or patients with nocturnal pruritus at the management of CSU. This is Scott Sischer, Deputy Editor of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology and Practice, thanking you for listening to our highlights from our January 2021 food allergy theme issue.